had a quote in the book, if you don't mind if I can share this. He's passed, but he was a famous minister years ago, and, and he would say, just because you have a song to sing doesn't mean you don't have to learn how to sing it. So there's a reason for the journey here for all of us, and it's going to be discovery, and hopefully it's going to be reinforcing what is the highest and best use for each of us. And now, Taking Care of Business, your hosts, Craig Moen and Shai Gilad. Welcome to Business Owners Radio, episode 227. Our guest today is Robert Jordan, CEO of Interim Execs, which matches top executives with companies around the world. Based on research with thousands of leaders and companies, he and Olivia Wagner wrote the new book, Right Leader, Right Time. Discover your leadership style for a winning career and company. They have developed the FAB's Leadership Assessment. It's designed to help leaders and organizations perform better as individuals and with teams. Good morning, Robert. Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Hi, Craig, and hi, Shai. It's a pleasure to be with you guys. That's great to have you on board. And boy, we got some great topics to talk about today and want to dive into it. Looking at you and Olivia Wagner wrote your new book, Right Leader, Right Time. Always a major undertaking writing books. And tell us a little bit about kind of what led up to writing this book. Undertaking is a good word. Agony, futility, gosh, I'm not sure which one. (laughs) It's hard enough on your own Even with a trusted partner, yeah, it was about six years of researching and writing for us. The book came out of the work we do in our company. So we run a company called Interim Execs. We're a matchmaker around the world. Organizations call up, they have a leadership need. And we developed a concept we call Red Team, stands for Rapid Executive Deployment. And about 7,000 executives showed up on our proverbial doorstep. In the process of ranking and scoring and screening thousands of people, we had some discoveries. There were some that were not so good for the majority of those leaders, and there were some that were great for the highest end, the top two, three, four percent, who were remarkable. That's why we had to write the book, Right Leader, Right Time. Pretty extensive research I was noticing going through the book and showing some new lights on interesting results in the leadership styles. Tell us a little more about what you found. So in our estimation, we saw four winning leadership styles. And by style, we were looking at the process and the approach and really kind of system that exceptional leaders were using. The four styles we describe as fixer, artist, builder, and strategist, F-A-B-S. And so in the book, and there's a leadership assessment coming out, we refer to those as FABs, FABs leadership styles. In determining how to derive these sectors as far as in the FABs, you know, some of them look like could be combinations. Is that something you found? Am I being a fixer and a builder possibly? Yes. We're not trying to pigeonhole any leader. All great leaders are a combination of many skills and abilities We're not trying to pigeonhole anyone into one. What we would say is it's a little bit akin to DNA. You know, DNA, there are just four proteins that make up all of biological life, just four, but it's in infinite, endless variation. We would say the same thing about leadership. What we observed is that over time, we saw people that were having incredibly successful careers 
who tended to be focusing. They tended to be doubling down more within a particular set of strengths. And that's what gave us those labels. So to give you a popular example right now, as we are recording this, there's a, let's call it an extreme mess in the world called FTX, right? There's a crypto marketplace platform called FTX, which went into bankruptcy about a month ago. And the court immediately appointed what we would call a fixer, a turnaround expert, a guy named John Ray. This was not his first rodeo. He had already been involved in Enron, which a lot of people would have assumed at the time was, was one of the biggest disasters. And FTX is arguably worse. So John Ray exemplifies, for example, that kind of fixer leadership style. I think I've experienced a number of fixers. <laughs> My observation of fixers is they can fix things, but they're not builders, <laughs> per se. Is, is that fair? It's funny you say that because we done a couple other books. One of them was called How They Did It. It was a series of Q&A interviews with remarkable company founders. And one of the company founders we interviewed kind of out of the blue while we were talking to him, he said, you know, if I put a fixer into one of my companies and it isn't broken, he'll break it just so he can fix it. And I thought that was such a curious thing to say. And so fast forward 10 years and we're researching for Right Leader, Right Time. And we interviewed a lot of leaders for the book. And among the fixers that we interviewed, we kind of played back that quote because I thought they'd be offended. None of them took offense. Their attitude was like, yeah, so... <laughs> and that's not the way that other leaders look at the world at all. You know, Robert, when you create these new ways of thinking about leadership and new frameworks, which are so helpful, do you find that sometimes people feel a bit pigeonholed by these labels, right? So just like as you were saying, you're anticipating maybe some pushback on that comment about being a fixer. What kind of feedback did you get as you started to share this data? It's a great question, Shai. I think we felt tons of validation, luckily, that was a relief. And that is what we would want people to have self-discovery around. That is what we would want company owners and leaders to feel would be a sense of validation that their style is completely right and enough for themselves. So Robert, in thinking about these different styles, I think it can be helpful to think of them as sort of tendencies and ways in which we tend to naturally show up. So some people may have tendencies towards being more of a fixer versus a builder or an artist versus a strategist. Do you feel that these skills, once you become aware of your tendencies, can you change? Can a fixer become an artist? Can a builder become a strategist? Or are these just behavioral gaps? How are you thinking about this these days? It's a great question, Shai, and I, I suspect there are different answers for different styles. And we want to put science and validation behind this by testing it out quantitatively. Thus far, everything we've done has been a research, I think you'd call it more anecdotal, even though it's based on a lot of leaders. But for example, artist feels to us like what we would call a compelled style, which is to say that those leaders who believe the world is a blank canvas or a piece of clay to be molded, it feels more to us kind of a hard wiring that even at their peril, this is how they operate. So the standout example in the world right now would be Elon Musk. And when you think of Tesla, SpaceX, the boring company, you know, we have a phrase in the book, highest and best use. And we would say Elon's in his highest and best use here because he is doing brilliant creative engineering, right? Fixer 
on the other hand, feels to us like something that happens for people in career as a form of discovery. What we mean by that is we heard from a lot of fixers that early in their careers, they're smart, they're ambitious, they're dedicated, but they're undifferentiated. And at some point early in the career journey, somebody around them said, you know, Shai is a really smart guy. And we have a problem in another country with a different client, with a different division, and nobody else could solve it. And so they say, let's throw Shai at this thing and see what happens. And so Shai goes into this and you crush it. Takes you six months, takes you a year, takes you two years, but you solve the problem nobody else could solve and now you're hooked and you need to do that again. And so Fixer as a kind of leadership energy is this running into a burning building. But the thing that differentiates the Fixer is you want to keep on doing it over and over again. And you would be bored if you went back to a steady state or more kind of maintenance mode role. Yeah, I like the analogy. Just like that thing about you saying like you put a fixer in charge of a company that's not broken, (laughs) they might just have to go ahead and knock something off the shelf. I can see how those tendencies can play out in the real world. So I'm wondering, like, I believe that entrepreneurs come from everywhere, right? They have all kinds of different styles, all kinds of different backgrounds. And most of us have no idea what we're doing when we get started. We usually have an opportunity and a skill set that we're good at and we go for it. And then maybe these styles tend to emerge and it feels like at some point we're going to bump up against some tension where maybe our style isn't consistent with the stage of growth or our aspirations for our business. How have you seen this play out in your research? Well, let's look at an example like Bill Gates. If Bill Gates simply, because he's a brilliant guy and he was a great coder. Well, if he just wanted to be a great coder, then none of us would have ever heard of Microsoft. His real genius, maybe he was one of the world's best coders when he started programming, but what it really was, was that he was able to team up with his friend Paul Allen and then Steve Ballmer as CEO and doing these remarkable things like convincing IBM to let Microsoft retain all of the operating rights to DOS, you know, to an operating system for a computer. That's business brilliance that allowed him to grow. So the parallel here with leadership style is, you were getting at this before, Shai, is that for some folks, they have a style and they're going to keep refining it throughout their careers if they're going to be more and more successful. And that's the way it is. So for example, I'm strongly wired as an artist leader, sometimes to my peril, but it means I have to be surrounded by great people who are operating in their best modes, which tend to be more builder. Okay. But if you want an example of a leader who evolved, look at Fred Smith. You guys are flyers, right? Well, FedEx, Fred Smith, he starts with a paper, a business plan in school, the highly creative activity. He launches FedEx, runs out of money, famously goes to Las Vegas, gambling to generate the payroll, uh, fixer mode, builder, of course. But to be in charge of an organization as vast and complex as FedEx and to stay in that leadership role 51 years, he evolved into what we would call strategist. Some leaders do that throughout their careers. Not most. Most have a particular style and process and approach that if they're successful, they keep on refining. And it is not that they have to be best at all four styles. No one is. Yeah, I look at this from the standpoint of I can see a little bit 
of each one of these four areas with a lot of leaders that we know today. And I like the analogy or the examples of transitioning from one to the other during your career. How does one really go about determining their leadership style from your view and your structures? How does that lend itself to positioning one at this point in time? I think there are a couple ways that it occurs. One is, is that the owners and the managers who are listening to your show right now are going to get an idea for themselves of how they think they fit. We are launching a leadership assessment tool. It's called Fab's Leadership Assessment. It's a free three-minute survey, and it'll give you an instant result. And we're very eager to hear back from people if they think they feel it is accurate for themselves. When they get a result, they get a detailed description of their styles and each of the others. The first thing we hope, though, inside of a team or an organization, whether you're the owner or one of the managers or one of the employees, is to have a conversation. Because highly effective teams, that occurs where it's collaboration on steroids. And true collaboration means that I'm respected for the strengths I'm bringing to the team because it's just going to be better for everybody if I get to excel at the stuff I'm great at. And for everybody else on the team, that if I can respect that the things they're great at to unleash them in those ways, we're going to make for a more effective team. So the first thing we hope is have a conversation that is going to make your collaboration better. Being able to understand each other on each team of where each strength is and where they can be aligned, just like you're saying, has a huge difference and everybody understands then how each is wired and how they might contribute the most rather than everybody gets put in a position without any of that background data. It gets rather disastrous. <laughs> yeah. Putting a strategist in the artistic side may not be the best combination. So determining those roles and then sharing them and blending them together for everyone to be able to do their greatest strength really is a synergistic effect. When we look at a business structure and all of the different positions and portions of leadership, what styles fit best in what roles within the business? Is there an overview there you could share? What I would say more generally, Craig, is that what we observed is that exceptional leaders tend to reject more of what is not for their highest and best use. And over the course of a career, whether you're the owner or one of the managers, it's easy to say it's hard to do, but that is the thing that would advance each of us the most and therefore our businesses, to reject more of what is not for our highest and best use and to allow the folks that we work with on teams to be able to do the same things. One of the organizational psychologists we interviewed in the book you know, we had to double check, not just talking to leaders, but talking to experts. You know, are we crazy? Does this framework make sense? One of the psychologists we interviewed, he said, you have to be spiky. And what he meant by that is if you were looking at a chart and it showed all of the kinds of capabilities and skills that a particular team or company or division requires, well, then for you to be effective, for you to be accretive on that team, you have to be spiky in just a couple ways, but not everything. No one is all things to all people. And frankly, in our interviews and research with thousands of executives, our estimation was they were having careers and leadership journeys that were okay, but not great. 
The number one reason was because they were trying to be all things to all people. And it never works. And it is one of the biggest failings for a lot of small business owners over time. That in the beginning, they have a great idea. They have energy. They're very differentiated in what they're launching and what they're starting to grow. But over time, if they cannot attract team, if they cannot be accretive on that team, they tend to be doing too much trying to be all things to all people. And it doesn't work in terms of building a sizable organization. Not for any of us. It's kind of an interesting thing to watch where you've got someone who's very strong, has some very key strengths in the four areas that we're talking about. And then as time progressive or the processes or the growth of the company continues, they may not be that lead in that field anymore. They may start taking on more of the builder role. And so allowing people to have that flexibility and to be able to grow in any of the four areas or combinations thereof. It's really important. And I look at, okay, building a team. Is there anything in the research that sort of gives you some insight as far as your hiring processes? You know, Craig, if you don't mind if I touch on something else you were talking about, because it really sparked something. One of the business owners we interviewed in the book, he's a guy named Andy Crestadina, and he launched a company called Orbit Media. And Orbit is, like many companies, they're a website builder. Andy, however, had a particular specialty, fascination, thing he loved to write about and research, which was SEO, search engine optimization and content marketing. And he became, over a span of years, one of the foremost authorities in the world on content marketing. Well, at the same time, he's growing a little company and he's got 20 people and he's not sleeping a whole lot. And he's the head sales guy and everyone's reporting in. And he just realized he was never, ever going to grow he was going to get more and more miserable. And he came to a realization he needed to fire himself, not quit, not give up his equity, but he got lucky, which is that one of his customers he thought could make a great CEO. So Andy, I guess you could say he demoted himself or he moved himself. He hired this customer to be the CEO of Orbit Media. Andy moved into the role of kind of chief creative officer with exactly no one reporting to him. Still owned the company at the time, but the company doubled in short order. And it exactly speaks, I think, to your point. You know, the more we can kind of do a little self-analysis here, the better. Robert, as I'm hearing you tell these stories, it strikes me that there is a bit of an intuition around this. And the wonderful thing that you and Olivia Wagner have brought us with your research for this book is that you're giving us some new language and ways of thinking about it. There's a reason that we think of C-level executives as a suite. There's a suite of executives. There's a chief marketing officer. There's a chief financial officer. There's a chief operating officer. There's a CEO, you know, there's a reason that isn't one person. If it could be one person, it would save companies a lot of money, right? And I think we all know that people that tend to excel in those different kinds of positions tend to have different types of skill sets and different things that may become more naturally to them. So even while some of them could be interchangeable, perhaps a COO could stand in for a CEO or a CFO, or even on occasion, a CMO for a meeting or two, it's probably not where their greatest strengths lie. And I think as this translates to small business, like you said, you know, entrepreneurs start out and we may fall into any one of these buckets, 
Certainly we're in the building stage. So we better get good at that pretty quickly. And then we start to have some level of success and, you know, we can find ourselves pushing up against these skills that are very difficult to acquire and just don't always come naturally to us. And that frustration can lend itself to a lot of burnout. And so often, like the story you just gave us, it could simply be that you've outgrown your role within your own company. It's a great point and spot on. And, you know, I have to say the book we wrote and talking about these different kinds of leadership styles, we couldn't have written it 30 years ago. It's not that those abilities didn't exist. It's that in the world, for a leader to come to some point of fruition, to to some point of what we call highest and best use, was not always this easy. So to the example you use, for example, small business owners listening to this, you don't have an excuse anymore if you say, well, I have to be the CFO in addition to the CEO and the COO and all of that because I have no choice. That's not the way the world is anymore. So for example, in the CFO role, There's a concept of fractional leadership, which means you need a CFO for five hours a month. You absolutely can get a CFO for five hours a month. They don't have to become your full-time employee. And so because we now organize our companies so much around outside resources and outsourcing and leadership roles that can be fractional, we all do this in, in all kinds of businesses. It allows for a lot more ways to differentiate your company and to figure out how to grow faster. Yeah. And the opportunity now to do this earlier, right? Do it sooner rather than later. Try to figure out what are those critical skills that having that level of expertise at a handful of hours at a time, if you just had this small cabinet that you've developed that you're meeting with even once a month or at different times, right? To review financials, for instance, in your use case of a fractional CFO and help provide you more direction you know, that can be such a huge return on your time and the growth of your company, even in the early stages. Yes. And the notion of these roles, especially thinking about fixer, artist, and builder, these are highly transportable skills. Strategist tends to be more the person who's been with a larger complex organization, tends to be cross-trained, tends to stay with that organization over time. But for example, you're seeing like, as we're recording this, what was it, a month or two ago, Meta laid off 10,000 people. And there was recently an announcement, Microsoft is laying off 10,000 people. And the experience, what we're seeing in the news, is that those people are getting hired again rapidly. It's no longer, you know, the Great Depression, which is, oh my God, is 25% unemployment. These are highly skilled people that in many cases, they're just going to be valued by another company. And so that sense of your skills and taking it with you is stronger than it's ever been. Now, we quoted in the book, we didn't interview him, but Reid Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn, the standard speech they would give to new employees at LinkedIn, even from years back, was that this is probably a tour of duty for you. It's not like, you know, our parents, you, you know, they'd go to work for General Motors and the thought was, this is your job for life not the way the world is organized anymore. Now it's Reid Hoffman at LinkedIn saying, this is probably a tour of duty for you. And so we want to make this great for you and great for the organization. Let's go figure that out. But the presumption that you're going to stay in that job the rest of your life, that's gone. It's a new world order for business. Robert, what was the overarching thought from writing this book that you would like the listeners to take away? That I really had this hope that, publishing this book 
was a message to go out to people earlier on in their leadership journeys and in their careers with a very clear message, which is don't try to be all things to all people. It's easy to say hard to do early on because you need the money, you need the status, you need the job. Everyone's looking at you to be successful. Got it. Over time, for successful people, there's a journey which becomes more and more noticeable as one thing over other things. It becomes more and more differentiated and a thing in which a more and more successful leader can take confidence and courage in. That's a message I want to get out there. Well, Robert, I want to thank you again for your time today. We really enjoyed having you with us. Well, thank you, Shai, and thank you, Craig. It's been a pleasure to be with you guys. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? Your listeners can go to rightleader.com and they'll find the FABS Leadership Assessment there. And we would welcome everyone to take it. It's free and you'll get a downloadable PDF and hopefully get some discovery on your own leadership journey. Our guest today has been Robert Jordan, CEO of Interim Execs and author of the new book, Right Leader, Right Time. Discover your leadership style for a winning career. You can learn more about Robert, as well as find links to his free FABS Leadership Assessment, all on businessownersradio.com. Thank you for joining us on Business Owners Radio. We hope you enjoyed today's show. As always, you can read more about each episode, along with links and offers, in the show notes on our website, businessownersradio.com. We want to hear your feedback. Please leave comments on this show or suggestions for upcoming episodes. Tell your fellow business owners about the show and, of course, you would love the stars and comments on iTunes. Till next time, keep taking care of business.